know, as, as much as it bothers me to, to hear the Christmas carols on the radio too much before December, you know, um, there are some that are so awesome. And I love Silent Night. I love the message of the original carol. I love the song, the lyrics and all that. And there's something even more powerful when, when we do the, the tradition of, of surrounding the sanctuary or room with our candles. We'll do glow sticks this year and get to do that. So that's one of the things that I'm really looking at forward to on the 22nd that evening as we gather in this room and we celebrate Christmas and we hear a Christmas message and, and sing some of these songs and, and reflect on, on the meanings and stories of the lyrics and, and have this room surrounded. I, I am so looking forward to that. And I, I again, I can't stress enough how important it is that we pe- let people know that that opportunity exists here um, for people to, to celebrate Christmas with their friends and families here at Golden Beach Community Church. But this is the third Sunday of Advent. Again, it's a season of preparation as we look forward to celebrating the birth of Christ Jesus at Christmas and await his return. And I continue to approach each of the four-week scenes of hope, love, joy, and peace in the light of John 14, 27. It's in this verse where Jesus shares the words that says, I do not give to you as the world gives. And so each week we're taking this and looking at hope, love, joy, and peace and contrasting to, as we understand, as the world offers these things and how God intended and how he offers hope, love, joy, and peace. And I hope you'll commit to joining us for each of these messages, which will culminate in that special worship service that Thursday evening on the 22nd. As we celebrate Christmas and we conclude the series with the message as only God can give as we tie all this together. And if you've missed or would like to revisit any of the messages in the series, they continue to be available online on the podcast. But this, the third week of Advent, celebrates joy. And we can't help but think of happiness when we consider what the word joy means. And I don't think we're too far from the truth there, but as we open the Bible and hear about joy in the context of God's plan for our lives, I think we'll find a richer, deeper, more complete meaning. For starters, the NIV version of the Bible, which includes with the words joy and rejoice and joyful 424 times compared with happier happiness that only appear 26 times. And, and most of which, of, they're not interchangeable, okay? Now they do go together. They, they ring true in a lot of things, but joy and happy are not necessarily synonymous as we'll discover. And joy is enduring and it fills the heart in a distinctive and marvelous way that only it can. To that point, when we read the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, found in Galatians 5.22, we see that joy is included in this list of characteristics of a person whose life is in tune with God's Spirit and his desire and plan for ours. It's both the goal, right, to be joyful and kind and generous and forgiving but it's also the unavoidable result of living as life as he intends us to live. Meanwhile, happiness, happiness feels good, but it's fickle. It requires happy circumstances. We talk about things and people making us happy. But think about that for the moment. When you say that something or someone made you something, makes you happy, you're giving them a lot of control 
over the most simplest of pleasures in your life that you lead, your life, but you're relying on something to let you find joy in it. Now that's okay. Things bring us joy, certainly. But this is one of those things we can actually control for ourselves is what brings us joy and what makes us happy. And, and, and you are saying and believing that you can only be happy if this thing happens or this person does this thing, right? And, and, and life is so much more, so much better than that. But when we look at joy, we learn that it is given, give you joy or something brings us joy. In its fourth chapter, the psalmist writes to God, fill my heart with joy. They don't say, make me happy. God, make me happy. It says, fill my heart with joy. And the gospel of John records an account of Jesus sharing the news with his disciples that he would be leaving them soon. And, and the context is it's pretty broad. It's, it's, he goes into quite a bit of a story, but at the end of this, he's, he, was, he was telling them, you know, I go on to prepare a, a place for you and, and I am the vine, you're the branches. And they're hearing all this, but they're probably still hung up on that. And, and you're leaving? We've only been together, what, at most three years-ish? So this was not happy news to them. And despite encouraging them to trust God and trust him, and, and despite his promise to send the Holy Spirit as a helper, they were troubled. And I, I, I think I can understand why I would be. But listen to what he says next. This is John 15, 11. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He's giving his joy to them so that their joy may be complete and full. Full. Like I said, it's something that only true joy can fill in our hearts. Last week, as we were studying how God tells us to love, not as the world loves, we read Paul's instructions about how to put love in action. And from Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You know, we, we want to find joy, and we should find joy when others find joy, regardless of of whether we like them, right? According to our standards of like or, or what they deserve, right? Pray for your enemies, it said. We're supposed to rejoice with others. That is love in action. That is being intentional with the love that we have for others. It's being obedient. I rejoice when you rejoice. I'm happy for you, yay. I'm sad when you're sad when things happen for you. Scripture reveals that joy may be contrary to the things that feel good or happy. In fact, they often are. Romans 14, 17 through 8, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in this Holy Spirit. He's kind of talking about their practices. But listen to this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, finding joy from those things, but of righteousness and peace and joy. These are the fundamentals of the kingdom of God. He says, Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Again, it's not as the world gives or defines joy or peace, but as God does. James 1, 2 through 3, which is my go-to in, in times of trouble. It says, consider it pure joy. Boy, that's, that's troubling, right? Because you're, like, you're waiting for the big, all right, this is the good stuff. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And it goes on, but... But it doesn't say be happy about it. Now, you can, you know, okay, because I'm the other side of this is going to be some perseverance, some growth in my faith, all kinds of good stuff that God's going to work. But it doesn't say you have to just go in there with a smile, but consider it joy. Take joy in this, confidence. 
because this bad stuff or what feels bad is going to turn into something incredibly awesome. And I don't know about you, but some of our biggest tests have turned into some of our greatest testimonies. And we often wonder why bad things happen. And we know the truth. Not all things are good, but God will use things for good. This is revealed in passages such as James that I just read, but also Romans 5. They reveal that God too may take joy in the growth and progress you make. Right? He's not excited when you have these struggles, but, but he has this kind of underlying joy too. He's like, okay, my child is about to grow. I'm going to watch them grow. Not despite these troubles, but sometimes because of the troubles. If you can change that perspective just a little bit, then you can understand how you can have joy in these situations, even if it is not a warm, happy moment. Listen to these words of Romans 5. Again, it's the Apostle Paul who writes them. Perhaps you'll discover the significance of suffering. It says, we have been made right with God because of our faith. Now we have peace with him because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus, we have received God's grace. In that grace, we stand. We are full of joy because we expect to share in God's glory. And that's not all. It's kind of like, don't answer yet. Don't get excited yet. We are full of joy even when we suffer. We know that our suffering gives us the character or gives us the strength to go on. Right? There's that perseverance. The strength to go on produces character, and character produces hope, and hope will never bring us shame. That's because God's love has been poured into our hearts. This happened through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a process. It's a process. So as we take joy in these things, we're just celebrating the overall process, not the minute-by-minute things that are uh, giving us trouble. As we read this as such, scriptures like these can, can bring peace and comfort to a person in a time of struggle or sadness because the joy of the Lord is deeper and truer and more enduring than the mere happiness or even sadness of a moment. And I think that's the hardest part to convey to someone when you're, when you're counseling them, if you don't call it counseling, when you're trying to help someone, right? God's got this. If they don't know who God is or what it means that God has this or if they don't trust that God, that's really not comforting for them. It isn't, you know, and so as we understand the character of God and look through the stories of the characters in the Bible and how he has done these wonderful things for people throughout history and in our own lives and people we know, and we can see that these words of Roman five, that this process, and I can look back and go, okay, I suffered for a bit, developed a little bit of character. Not all of it was good character, but I, I sorted some stuff out, right? Developed some perseverance, got some faith. Now I have hope, right? It, it, it builds, but you have to understand and believe in the nature of God. And that's why we have the basic fundamentals of our Bible studies and why we read, right? This isn't blind faith. He says, open it up. Test me on this. Find out why. God wants his people to find joy in creation. Joy not as the world gives, right? He wants us to be happy, but because he intended us to have a joyful life and experience it here. From Ecclesiastes 8.15, Okay? This is Old Testament. So I commend the enjoyment of life, right? Go do it. Enjoy life. Because there is nothing better for a person under sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Now, that's not what brings us happiness. But in our happiness, we enjoy eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life God has given them under sun. There'll be joy that, that, that we enjoy throughout our life. And 
And I want to talk about this for a minute. That was, I pointed out that was Old Testament. We get so hung up maybe on Old Testament God and New Testament God. God is God. God has always been God. Okay? But there was a wrathful, vengeful God of the Old Testament. Okay, yes. Um, we as a people messed up. We as a people continue to mess up. And we talked about over the several weeks that, that what it meant to have this atoning sacrifice, the law that set the standard for how we get in God's graces through sacrifice. And he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing God. You guys aren't getting it. I'm gonna have to send a savior once and for all to be that. And that's the joy of Christmas. That's the promise of Christmas. So, so in Ecclesiastes, when, when God says, enjoy life, I want to enjoy it. God still wants us to enjoy life, not at the expense of our souls. So he's, he's got ways for us. He's designed us to enjoy life in accordance with his law, with his scripture, with his commandments, with the way that he wants us to treat each other and ourselves. And he says, when you do this, even when you toil, there will be joy and enjoyment. Because joy is deep-seated and intended to be fully experienced. 2 John 1.12 says, I have much to write to you but I do not want to use paper and pen. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. There is something more about joy than just the words we say, but, but the presence, right? That's, that's another one of the reasons we gather as a church, right? The, the world has figured out we can do church remotely. Okay, sure. But you know what you're missing and you guys know because you're here. You miss the fellowship, you meet, miss the faces, you miss the encouragement, the pray alongside. And it's not just what you receive, but you know you're doing that for someone else. So when you are watching online or listening online, and I'm not condemning anybody, believe me, I'm glad that, that people still can stay connected in this way. But when you do that, you know you're, you're really preventing someone else from the joy of you of what God created you to be in the presence of someone else. How many times has, has someone almost unexpectedly given you a word, a comment, a phrase, a smile, a look, a, 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 a gentle, friendly touch that, that was encouraging? You know, so, so as he's writing this, he says, I, I have so much to write to you, but I don't want to use pen and ink. I hope to visit you and talk with you, right? I want our joy to be complete in the presence of each other and the presence of God. Listen to the joy that, that isn't just here on earth. Luke 15, 7. He says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's a part of a larger story. But have you ever thought about the things that you're doing are leading to joy in heaven? It says that's what happens. Did you hear what it takes? One sinner who repents. When you repent, joy in heaven. When you're helping someone else repent, right? Joy in heaven. When you're telling them the good news that there is hope in their repentance, a grace that awaits them, joy in heaven. And joy is included in the promise of heaven. Listen to Isaiah 35.10. He says, they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Heaven is a place of joy. Not because it's the absence or only because it's the absence of problems, because it is where joy resides. In the presence of our Savior, singing, crown our heads, gladness will overtake us. John 16, 22. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 
Lastly, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, again, talking about the joy in heaven, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, right? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer perfecter of our faith. Now listen to this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now we know from his prayer in the garden, you know, take this from me. I can't imagine that, that he would have wanted to go through that, but, but for the joy set before him, he endured these things. So take joy in the Lord. Rejoice. Reminiscent of the praises of the Psalms in Philippians 4, 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now we're happy when we experience joy. Certainly. But, but joy is still different from happy. And to that point, sadness is not the opposite of joy. That's why we're told to find joy in the face of the things that tend to rob us or rob the world of its happiness. Joy, joy is enduring. It sticks around in the face of trouble. The author of Lamentations 3.17, which is poetic writings that obviously by the, the title implies are lamenting things, right? Lamentations 3.17 describes how happiness disappears when difficulty enters a the scene. They write, my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. I might even argue that, that peace is more akin to joy than, than happiness is. Can you see how viewing joy as the world gives it does not, uh, does not just endanger your joy and your happiness, but, but your hope as well? That's why this message series is so important for us to understand. God offers hope and love and joy as we will discuss in the next few weeks and especially next week, peace. Fortunately, God provides these in all situations. As Paul was writing words of encouragement to the early Christians in Corinth, we find these words in his second letter. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Their test had become a testimony for Paul to share to the Christians in Corinth. He said these churches in, in Macedonia, they had so much going on and so much going against them. A severe test of their affliction, he says. But their abundance of joy overflowed. The joy of the Lord. I, you know, I hear some of these songs and I think of the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. And the, some of these songs are in, in my head. And, and I have to think, what brings joy to God? Now, we know that one you know, one sinner turning away brings, brings heaven or brings joy in heaven, right? It, it talks about the, the angels and all of heavens and the kingdom of God, and the, 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 the cloud of witnesses. But God himself, what could possibly bring joy to God? You know, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength is a familiar line. And, and there are numerous songs that have this in it and, and some more contemporary songs have as a, one of the main lines of the chorus. And, and we use it to encourage ourselves and others, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. But what, what does that really mean? What is the joy of the Lord? The, the joy of the Lord is my strength is found in the First Testament book of Nehemiah, specifically Nehemiah 8.10. 
And it's after the children of Israel, the Israelites, returned to Jerusalem from exile. Right? This is one of those periods, right, the cycle where they had been overrun, enslaved, kicked out, all these things that happened. And, and, and they were listening to law being read. They're back. You know, they're, they're, things are settled down. And, and they return to the Lord. And things are being restored. And the law was being read to them. And they were overcome with condemnation. Right, as they're hearing the thou shalt nots and the thou shalts are like, ooh, for so many years we, we didn't. It says they were weeping. And then scripture reads it this way. It says, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Celebrate. God is so glad that you sinned. Not that you sinned, but that you sinned and came back to him. That's what brings him joy. When Ezra was reading the law to the people, it produced sorrow and regret because their lives were not in alignment with the law and with God's wishes for them, and they knew it. But instead of being attacked and condemned, they were instructed to celebrate. God's happy. Celebrate. This is where you're now. So why would God have joy over a bunch of sinners? We talk about it regularly. The Israelites were known for, for imperfect behavior. But they were known for being the people of God as well. They were his and he loved them. Can you identify with this? We're not a perfect people. You are his. He loves you. You are a child of God. He loves you. And nothing can bring him joy like when you are in alignment with his will. And if you go off, when you come back, it brings him joy. And after years of separation from him, the Israelites were finally reunited. And God had his beloved people back, and this brought him joy. Jesus often taught on this very subject. Consider the parables of the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. In every instance, there was this immense joy for the lost being found. The children of Israel mourned due to their failure to uphold the law. They felt lost, hopelessly separated from God. And the more they heard about what they know they should have been doing, the more they felt separated. But that's the magic of grace and God's forgiveness. God is love. And the Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. God's love covers your sins. Your repentance and acceptance of his grace and mercy restores your relationship with him and brings him joy. Believing this is your faith and knowing this gives you hope. And this is what is given to you as a source of strength in the face of every aspect of the world, certainly the bad. He promises, as he did to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And it is brought to fullness when we accept his provision of righteousness through divine grace that reunites us with him. That is the Christmas message of joy. And it is a joy that this world simply cannot give you. But God can, and he will, and he wants to. So this season, Advent and Christmas, again, it's a season without boundaries. The power of Christmas is fulfilled in the events of Easter, and the gift of both Christmas and Easter is eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world 
through him. God offers a joy that is not as the world can give, is not as the, the world is able to give. Now there's a hymn we like to sing at this time, right? Joy to the world, or Christmas Carol, joy to the world. But, but Chris Tomlin came back and he added a verse to it. And as he's singing this, he comes back and, he, and it says, joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy, rises in my soul, never lets me go. I love that. And when you think of unspeakable joy, it's not that you shouldn't be speaking. It's just words cannot capture it well, right? It's overflowing well. It's, it not only is there such abundance, it's just coming out with such force. I just want to play that just one second as you can just sit back and, and, and enjoy this song. And, um, and then I'll conclude the message. You can see where he goes with this. He puts that extra verse, just a reminder. And, and man, it, it just lifts that song up so great. God put Jesus here on earth so that we could put him there on the cross so that we may all be together in heaven beyond this here and now in this life and experience true joy, eternal joy. This is true joy, a perfect joy and continues into an eternal future in the presence of God, our very, very good God. And earlier in the message, I shared Jesus's words from John 15, 11. I said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And if you will read on verse 12, it says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Do you see how it all works together now? Not as the world offers or defines joy or love, but as he has offered it to you. Do you accept this gift? Are you ready and willing to pay it forward? Because that is the instruction. That is God's wish for you. It's my wish for you as well. That, that should be our desire for each other. I will close with a portion of the Apostle Paul's benediction found in Romans 15.3. He says, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him. So you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how it all works together? Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Amen. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, joy, unspeakable joy. Can we feel it? Lord, there's so much good in this world. And there's so much that tries to battle it. But overcoming all this is the hope, the love, the joy, and as we'll learn next week, the peace that only you can provide. How wonderful it is to be a part of that, to be a recipient of this great design of yours. So may we now bring hope to you. May we now bring joy to you as we prepare to take communion, as we come before you to commune, to accept the elements, to remember that great sacrifice that made all this possible. Lord, may we come to this table and leave whatever we need to leave behind so that each one of us may in this moment lead to rejoicing in the heavens as every single one of us repents our sins and goes forward from this place renewed and refreshed just as you want us to. In your son's name we pray, amen.